You're listening to the Open Court Podcast with Jay Young, Bob Huesler, and Joe DeSantis. An all-access pass to Fairfield University men's basketball. Welcome to Open Court with Jay Young, your podcast place for Fairfield basketball, along with the coach. I'm Bob Huesler, joined by my broadcast partner, the Fairfield Hall of Famer, Joe DeSantis. Stags now 12-17, and 8-11 and 11 in the MAC as they get ready for their final game of the regular season, which is Thursday at home against Quinnipiac, then on to the MAC tournament in Atlantic City. The Stags are locked into the play-in round of the tournament and will be either the 7 or the 8 seed playing at either 5 o'clock on Tuesday night in the 8-9 game or at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night in the 7-10 game. And we'll tell you later on what the Stags need to do in order to be that 7 seed, which is obviously the preferable course. But first, the open court challenge. It's our Stags trivia question. We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. Uh, T.J. Long had put together a string of three straight 20-point games. That streak ended on Friday night when he scored 17 against Niagara. So T.J. was stopped in his bid for four consecutive 20-point games, who was the last player to score 20 or more points in four consecutive games for Fairfield. Last player to score 20 or more in four straight for the Stags. All right, Jay. um, Lost weekend in, in western New York, the loss at Niagara on Friday and then the loss on Sunday at Kinesis. So your biggest concerns coming out of those games and what are the things that need to get straightened out? Obviously, fast now with the end of the regular season approaching and the MAC tournament next week. I would say right now it's just our two-point field goal percentage defense has really been struggling. Uh, teams are getting to the rim on us and uh, – you know, uh, I think Niagara shot 67% at the rim the other day, which is a ridiculous number. So uh, we had that problem against Manhattan with Nelson. We had it certainly with Thomason against Niagara. Different game on Sunday where Canisius is much more of a uh, system team. Uh, and we defended okay against uh, against Canisius. We held them under a point per possession. Um, but it, it's really our two-point field goal percentage defense has been troubling uh, over these last uh, few games, especially, how how much does uh, not having Chris Mido back there hurt you? Yeah, it's it's hurt us a lot. Um, Chris is our leading shot blocker, and and obviously in the stats, you know, alters some shots. We're up. Uh, team's field goal percentage uh, from two is up significantly since he's been injured. Uh, so that injury has really, uh, I think, affected our presence at the rim. Uh, we got to do a better job of staying in front of guys for sure. Our individual defense, but uh, uh, you know, you know, Chris's uh, defensive numbers uh, were, have always been good for us, and and that's what he provided for us. And without it, we've been exposed. Uh, you know, certainly at the rim. The um, you didn't play well in the second half uh, at Niagara. The and the, the forty three points you allowed in that second half were the most points you've allowed in any half tied. Uh, I think you've allowed in the half uh, against Iona, same amount of points, 43. I think part of the explanation is what you just told us about uh, teams shooting that high two-point percentage against you. Uh, But you had the bad second half in Niagara, Coach, and then um, a bad first half against Canisius. And I was wondering 
if there was some sort of a, a carry over effect from you know Niagara to Canisius. Obviously, after Niagara, you know you you wanted a response from the team, and it wasn't there against Canisius, especially in the first half when that game kind of got away from you. So, able to put your finger on that? We just did not have the energy that we should have had. Um, you know, we came out, we we uh, got some early good looks. I thought, you know, first possession of the game, we kind of miss a layup. TJ had a couple open looks there early that could have certainly helped us. Um, but I was just kind of disappointed with our overall energy on Sunday um, coming off that Niagara loss. So we got to be better than that. Um, you know, obviously it was a big weekend for us. We dropped a tough game on Friday night. Uh, and, you know, I've this has been a theme with me for all for the whole year that we got to respond better to adversity with this group. Uh, and, again, I thought, you know, we'd play better coming out of Sunday. And uh, we just did not come out ready to play. Uh, and that's on me. We, we weren't ready uh, from an energy standpoint. So uh, I was disappointed in that. Is that something you can sense? Do you get a feeling like, again, take us into the locker room, pregame, Canisius. And uh, as you said, the energy wasn't there on the floor. Was it something that you actually could sense before the game? Obviously, if you could and correct and could correct it, you would. But did you have a, a, a notion about what was going to uh, happen in terms of that energy response? No, I didn't. And, you know, I've been in a thousand locker rooms before, and sometimes you think that it's, it's always tough to get a read on those. I've been in some, and I thought the energy was low, and we've come out and played well. And yeah. some when you, so it's, it's tough to get a read on that. I, I didn't think – you know, obviously we held them too. So I thought we were playing hard. Um, you know, we, we went one stretch in the Canisius game. I think they were one for 19 and we're down 12. I mean, that just can't happen. And, uh, you know, so I thought we came out and, and played okay defensively, covered some of their actions, but our execution on offense, our ball movement, uh, I just thought they got a lot of deflections. We were like a step slow that, that they're – just from their body language to our body language was way better. So I was really disappointed in that. And we addressed that, you know, in film this morning. But uh, we got to be better than than what we were and uh, credit Canisius. Again, looking at some of the numbers, and you've, you've touched upon this. It, again, it ties directly toward uh, that high, that alarmingly high uh, percentage that teams are putting up against you two-point-wise. Uh, but you allowed um, 92 paint points in those two games over the weekend. Um, and Joe already mentioned, look, you know, Chris Mito not being on the floor certainly plays into that. But taking what you're been you're dealing with right now, Chris is not there, what adjustments can be made to – you've got to get that number going the other way. I mean, what are your options in terms of uh, how do you – Well, you know, we, we change defenses a lot, probably more than I ever did we, yeah. we, on Friday night trying to – protect the rim a little bit um you know we play one three one we play box and one uh you know something we've never done here uh trying to help us and none of that really worked uh we played a couple possessions we gave up six points you know against Canisius playing one three one we they gave up we gave up two threes against that so there's a trade-off there and uh you know, we're, we're going to be vulnerable at the rim a little bit for the way we play. We've talked about this, that we're going to take away threes. We're going to keep teams off the foul line, and we're going to be a little more vulnerable because of that from two-point field goal. But we've got to be vulnerable at about 48%. That's a good number for us, which is still high. Mm-hmm. 
but it's the trade-off is they're not making any threes on you and they're not getting to the free throw line, so you keep them under a point per possession. That's been a really good formula for us. But now with teams, you know, 58%, um, you know, since Chris has been out, and that number is just too high. Um, so, you know, we're trying different things, and, and ultimately uh, we got to be better guarding the ball. It all comes down to that. You know, and we we have our guards have got to do a way better job of really just keeping their head between the ball and the basket. Um, so we've been showing them a lot of film we're working on, but at this point of the year, I mean, it is what it is. You're gonna you gotta have to have some guys sit down and be a little tougher and, and get in the stance and, and guard some guys. Well, it, it, you you said a key word for me because I was gonna ask you: Do you have enough tough guys, guys that you know will do pretty much anything to win? And from your end, do you do enough in practice? To make, can you make them tougher? Can you make them want to min? You go to Canisius and you put up 51 points, and that disappoints me. That's me personally. It looks like you're not playing for the whole 40 minutes. Yeah, I, th- I think we have a pretty good atmosphere of toughness in our practices. I think everybody who's been to our practices kind of comments that, you know, everything's pretty intense, and I'm on them uh, pretty hard about that. But you know, we've got to be tougher when adversity strikes. That's one thing that I've been disappointed with. We come to these moments in games where, uh, you know, Niagara, for example, we had a lead, they clawed back and they made a little run and we just have not responded to adversity in those moments like I have liked. Um, and, uh, you know, we we just got to be better in those. We, we've shown them that and, uh, you know, remind them about it all the time remind them in huddles as it's happening about our response to that and uh it hasn't been uh as good as it should be so uh this time of year you've got a choice to make you're either going to do a better job with that or you're going to go home so that's that's you know and i said to them and i'm not you know there's not a lot of coaching that goes on this time of year like you you you're just getting them ready and preparing them and it's really your will to kind of keep playing and uh, that's what we're going to have to exhibit here these next uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, obviously, uh, Thursday night at Quinnipiac, uh, Looms has a large game for a number of reasons. And then, yeah, uh, do or die uh, next week in Atlantic City. Wanted to ask you about some specific personnel things. Uh, let's start with T.J. Long. You used him as a starter against Canisius, and I know you have enjoyed being able to use him as your sixth man. He's a he's a great weapon in that regard. And uh, no a small coincidence as far as the bench points were concerned on Sunday against Canisius. They dropped off dramatically when you use TJ as a starter. So um, is that going to continue uh, Thursday against Quinnipiac and then going forward into Atlantic City? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, we just, you know, I talked to TJ on Saturday after the Niagara game. He played well and just – trying to and, and we got off to a good start with our starting group on on Friday night versus Niagara so it wasn't a matter of us getting off to a slow start it's been that in the past but we got off to a good start got a good lead and just trying to you know get us a little lift a little life a little something here to push a button and uh I brought TJ in and he's great he said what's ever best for the team and I said well let's let's give it a shot see if it works and uh you know he had struggled coming but that, but he had struggled earlier in the season anyway. I don't know if that was so much coming off the, being a starter or coming off the bench, and it played well. And I was a little nervous, obviously, when a guy's in a good spot. It's like if a, I always use baseball analogies. If a guy's hitting third and he's 
you don't move them to fourth or you don't move them to second in your lineup. So I was a little nervous about doing that. But, you know, after talking to him, we kind of decided we'd give it a shot. wanted his input in it. And, uh, you know, I made a joke with him in, in the huddle. I said, TJ, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but if you miss your first shot, I'm taking you out. And, uh, of course, he gets a wide open one and, and misses it. But, you know, he just had one of those days where, where – and we all did. So uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. I just – Kind so of, he's he's not been good as a starter this year. His numbers have, were were poor as a starter. Yeah, yeah. Now I, again, he started early in the season, and you know he he obviously TJ struggled a little bit early in the season, and so I don't know if that necessarily was him as a starter or just where he was in that season. And obviously he's played great, been in a great stretch. But I I did you know hesitate to move him into the starting lineup because just like I, like I said, he was in a good spot, but. Uh, just felt we needed a little something in that starting group. And, and uh, you know, obviously that was a move that didn't work. <laughs> well, uh, you did get Jake Wojcik, who had been a starter much of the season, off the bench uh, for both of those games up in Western New York. Uh, he had come back from that shoulder injury, and I was curious how he came through the weekend physically and how does he – what role do you see him um, taking on as far as these next few games are concerned? Yeah, I think, you know, just conditioning and just game minutes, you know, when you take a f- couple of weeks off like that, um, he gave us good minutes on uh, on both nights, I thought. Um, so, you know, he's just got to – we didn't – he didn't have much practice before those games. Um, so we'll uh, we'll get him going here this week in practice and see, you know, see where he's at. But he did a good job coming off the bench. And, and, and you know, I thought especially on uh, Friday night, I think gave us seven points and, and – uh, you know, hopefully can gives us gives us more here coming down the stretch. We're going to need them all. We were talking about some numbers earlier and uh, throwing another one out there because it plays directly into what has been one of your strengths most of the season, and that's free throw attempts. Um, only five of them against Canisius, which for this squad is alarming because that's been a big part of your game. And we're not trying to put this on individual players, but your guys who do get to the line frequently, of course, Supreme Cook, and uh, and Caleb Fields as well. Uh, corrective measure. What did you see in terms of why you didn't get to the line specifically against Kinesis as often as you should? You know, I think some of that too. Quite honestly, Bob is there's a coach of the other team, and it's it's pretty evident that that's a big part of what we're going to do to try and score points. And teams now are making a real conscious effort to make us play over the top of them um, and staying between the ball and the basket. So. Uh, it's a combination of we got to be a little more aggressive with some drives, but if you watch the Canisius game, they were just bodying up, getting real vertical in between Supreme and, and, and some of our other guys. So, you know, uh, as I like to remind everybody that there is someone coaching the other team, and, and that is, you know, obviously you look at our stats and you you say if we can take away the free throw line from them, they're going to struggle to score extra points, and that's that's what teams have been doing. We still have to be aggressive. We still have to. We can't allow that as much as we have been. But uh, I think that was that was more the case. And and they're a big team. They've got some size up front. And uh, I thought it bothered AJ. Uh, and uh, again, they just made supreme play over the top. They wouldn't give him any angles uh, where he's pretty good at. And uh, I thought their length and their size bothered us yesterday. Switching gears here a little bit, um, a Fairfield streak, a pretty incredible one, ended on uh, Sunday against Canisius. Jesus Cruz had been on the bench for 185 consecutive games as a player, and then this season 
as part of your staff. Uh, he's off to Puerto Rico now. He's going to be playing professionally down in Puerto Rico. You're not going to have him on the bench uh, against Quinnipiac or in Atlantic City. I just wanted to get your thoughts on him as a player and the impact he had on this program because I think you could probably – I think it's safe to say you could use a few more Jesus Cruises right, right now uh, in this program. Yeah, he was uh, and is, you know, everything that you want in a student athlete and a, and a, and a guy to coach. He was a uh, really good player, could coach him hard, came to practice every day, never missed a practice, never missed a game. When I, when I coached him, I didn't have him all four years or five years, I should say, but he never missed a practice for us. Uh, and every practice with the, the consistency, his habits were just, you know, exceptional and uh, high character kid. And, uh, you know, whatever he chooses to do after basketball, he's going to be successful at. And, uh, you know, he's what Fairfield's about. He's, you know, a, a great example of a guy who's come through here and left a, a great mark on our program. Which uh, leads me to ask the question, and this question obviously works better at the beginning of a season than where we are right now. But is there somebody in that locker room who still has the potential to become the kind of leader and impact player in that regard as a Jesus Cruz was, as a Taj Benning was, even as a Caleb Green was last year. Yeah, those I've mentioned this before. Those are those are three of the best I've ever been around. Um, and we had them on one team. So, you know, we've got some guys who lead by example. I think AJ's a good example. He comes to, he's got a lot of those same things. He's just really quiet. So sometimes, you know, you don't get that. Where Jesus... Uh, Probably Jesus more than Taj and more than Caleb would actually challenge one of his teammates. So uh, I missed that a little bit about it. You know, um, uh, those guys were just, not to say we don't have good leadership here, but those guys were just exceptional and uh, really would solve a lot of my issues uh, before I, they even got to me, you know, that that locker room. So. Uh, I was blessed to have those guys, and, and again, this is not a, a knock on anybody on this year's team. I just think that those guys were exceptional, and I was lucky to have them all at one year. Yeah, um, which also leads to another event that's coming up this week. Uh, senior night is Thursday night at Mahoney Arena when you play Quinnipiac, and the list of seniors who will be honored, uh, Mark Henry, Jack Mullally, Chris Mido, Jake Wojcik, and Zach Chrysler, along with the student managers, another part of the unsung contingent, uh, Charles Aceta and, and John Martin. They all are earning their degrees, and they'll be honored for an accomplishment that uh, obviously, obviously should never be taken for granted. Of, of the players on that list, Jake Wojcik is not returning. The other scholarship players are Chris Mido and Zach Chrysler. They do have eligibility, correct, and what does their future hold in terms of uh, playing here at Fairfield? Yeah, that's correct. So both of those guys, because of COVID, have an extra year of eligibility. And, uh, you know, the way that I think everybody's doing it right now with these extra years and who comes out on senior night and who doesn't is I've just left anybody who's graduating and wants to come out with their family on senior night is welcome to do so. We're going to celebrate graduation. And that's what we've decided to do. I haven't had any conversations with anybody about coming back and uh, for their fifth year or not. And, and quite honestly, I, I don't want to have those till after the season ends. I think that's the appropriate time to do those. Uh, so, you know, and Zach is kind of indicate, you know, he's 
had some job interviews and that type of thing. And, and uh, um, I'm kind of assuming that Zach is going to go on to the work world uh, after this year. But again, I haven't had those conversations with him and haven't had any with Chris either. So those will take place. We'll finish up. Hopefully we got some more runway left here and, and have a good run in this tournament. And then uh, spring break is whenever it's around. I don't even know what week, but it's what, when we get back together, after we get back on campus, we'll sit down and talk to everybody about what their plans are. All right, Joe, make a mental uh, note that uh, those are that's something we'll bring up on the podcast we'll do uh, later this month to, uh, when we wrap things up. Um, now, Alan Jean Rose is also a senior, so I was wondering if you could address um, his status as far as graduation is concerned. Yeah, he will be graduating, and uh, we gave him the same option. Uh, he chose to, you know, not to go out uh, this year and was going to do it uh, next year. And some of that was we talked about trying to get his mom here from Martinique, which had a lot of moving parts for us to do that this year. So, um, you know, he just he just opted for next year, which is great. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get her over here so she can see him. It'd be, that'd be quite a thing to have her over here because she's never seen him play a college basketball game. Uh, I was going to ask that, sorry, Bob, if she had seen a game or not, but that would be cool if that could work out. It'd also be great to have him back another year. Yeah, well, it sounds like that's going to going to happen, which actually leads to my uh, next subject here. Uh, all MAC teams will be announced next week, so um, every coach in the league does this. They make a, a case for the players they feel uh, deserve recognition. Uh, certainly, Supreme Cook comes immediately to mind. Alan Gene Rose is somebody who has actually worked his way into the conversation as all MAC potential too, hasn't he? He has. He had a really good year for us. Um, and uh, we've stretched him a lot, for sure. Uh, if you had told me in the minutes that we're playing him at the beginning of the year, I would tell you, you're crazy. We're not going to play him 35, 36 minutes, and that's what we've been doing lately. So he's been really good. Uh, he's been good defensively. He's, he's you know, as I say, had talked about this, really good self-awareness, and has played very well for us. So I don't know if he's going to make a team. Um, you know, we went through it like kind of last night on the bus, Boy, there's some talented players in this league yeah. and some good players. But, uh, uh, you know, he's you can make the argument. Uh, there, there, I, there is no argument who our most improved player is, and that's by far him. So he's done a great job for us. And Supreme does deserve a spot on one of these teams, doesn't he? I think so, yeah. He's been a warrior all year and, uh, you know, just just uh, had a really good year for us so far and, and uh, competes every night. And I think he's got a lot of respect around the league too. You mentioned the talent in this league. Um, I wrote down some names as potential MAC Player of the Year. Now, obviously, you know you're neutral as far as this is concerned. But any thoughts on uh, you got Noah Thomason? You just saw him. Patrick Gardner, um, Ant Nelson, Danis Jenkins, Walter Clayton, and even mentioned Nelly Jr. Joe. <laughs> there is a lot of talent in this league. Player of the Year is is a pretty competitive uh, category this year. You have any thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, there's some great players, and, uh, you know, I have nightmares when you were reading some of those names off because some of those guys we can't guard at all. But, you know, I, I tend to – I'm not giving away who I voted for or, or we haven't even voted for player of the year, but who we nominated on the first team. But, you know, I think you reward the teams who have won, and that's usually consistent with most most coaches. So, um, you know, I always look at that uh, when 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 I am voting or nominating someone. So, But you're right, there's some really, really good, talented players in this league. So – when you say nominate, do you have to nominate your own players first? You can't. The only uh, players you can nominate for are uh, six man of the year 
and uh, that's it. Six man of the year, and then coach of the year. You vote for later. So you cannot no- nominate your own players for uh, for a second or third team. So now, when you're going to vote for a player, do you look at his only his conference stats or the whole year? I, I'd look at both, um, but mostly, you know, it's an all conference award. So mostly, I do I judge it based on uh, what they did in conference because it's the sample size is all the, all the same too, obviously. But does the league tell you? Like, do they? They don't tell you. So nope. some guys in the in the league can vote for players based on their conference play and some might vote on all year. I think everybody kind of looks at both numbers. But there's nothing mandated. No, no, But that, to me, see, that I've had this conversation before with the Northeast Conference, as you know, I do their games. I think that should be set in stone. What are you voting on? Conference or all year? Yeah, it should be. But um, I can tell you that I've voted in some of these things in the – for the WNBA, for instance, and the guidelines are not as, not as stringent or as uh, thorough as you would you would hope they would be. Uh, you mentioned sixth man of the year. I guess TJ's got to be in the running. Yeah, there, I think huh? he's got a real shot for that for sure, and hope he gets it. I think he deserves it. Um, so you can't start him. Well, you know, it's <laughs> funny. I, I actually called before I made the decision, and, and TJ's the best because he really doesn't care about this stuff. But I I didn't want to hurt his chances for anything like that. So I did call Brian and just to make sure that we were under the threshold for that because uh, there's a percentage of your games that you can start, and we were, we were under. So um, I said earlier that we would spell out for our listeners what Fairfield needs to do to earn that seven seed. Now, it's obviously important because if you're the seven seed, then you – avoid that potential matchup with Iona in the following round. And you want to do that. They're obviously the team to catch right now. Uh, Here's the formula for Fairfield. Simple. If Fairfield wins on Thursday against Quinnipiac, they're the seventh seed. Or if Canisius loses on Saturday against Niagara, Fairfield is the seventh seed. So forget Saturday, Niagara, and Canisius, you don't want it to come down to that. You want to beat Quinnipiac on Thursday. That was not one of your memorable nights this season going up to Hampton this year. Uh, they handled you pretty well, especially in that second half of that game. So uh, the keys to turning that around and, and avenging that loss on what will be a big night, you know, the, the last home game of this first season in, in Mahoney Arena. Yeah, we're going to have to do a way better job defensively than we did up in Hampton a few weeks ago. I just uh... – Again, I thought their guards uh, got by us and outplayed us. And, uh, you know, they got it going uh, in that second half. We didn't have any response. So I was just, you know, there's, I guess, a few halves I've been disappointed in this year We've that we haven't competed. I didn't think we competed like we should have uh, in that Quinnipiac game. So, uh, you know, that's that's the one thing, you know, if we're not competing this time of year, then then I got the wrong group in the locker room because we gotta we gotta come out and throw punches, and I just didn't think we did that in the second half against Quinnipiac. I'm gonna have to do that. And I know that's all you're thinking about right now, so I'll make the question about the MAC tournament um, pretty general. First of all, Iona has separated itself from the pack. They've won nine in a row, and what looked like was going to be a wide open battle for the regular season championship. Didn't turn into that. Uh, in fact, the teams near Iona at the top are kind of going the other way right now. That being said, um, do you want to buy into that cliche that anything can happen in this this tournament? Because actually, 
It's a cliche because it's true, isn't it? It is true. And uh, I don't think there's a league in the country that you could use that more than the Mac. Um, you know, and I, I know that uh, where we're at right now, but we were also there two years ago uh, and we made a great run in the tournament. And uh, I don't think we're that far off. And I bet you every other team is saying the same thing to their because And, and they're, they believe that, uh, that this is a league where if you just look at scores and uh, who, you know, who's playing well at the time. And, and uh, you know, you need a guy to get hot. That's going to help you. I thought in the tournament a couple of years ago, we made that run. He just made threes that he hadn't made all year. Um, but I think everybody, every coach is going to say the same thing, except Iona, because they're going to go in as as the favorite. And the, all the pressure's on them. Yep. So, uh, you know, I've been in that side as an assistant at Stony Brook and how tough it, we were 0-4 in championship games before we broke through and I know what the pressure is like on the players and on the coaches and everybody else when you're that number one seed and it's a one bid league so uh you know they've got the best team but you know it in Atlantic City anything can happen I wanted to ask you about the current stretch that Fairfield is in right now you've been you know you've been around the coaching business a very long time uh two-part question a is this the toughest stretch that you've experienced in your four years at Fairfield and B, even if it's not, it's got to be up there in terms of, you know, challenging periods of your coaching uh, tenure here at Fairfield. What do you draw on in terms of, okay, you talked about players handling adversity. What in your coaching experience do you draw on and have gone through that uh, gives you the, uh, the confidence that knowing you can you know, work your way out of this? Yeah, I think coaching and, and personally in life that there's adversity that, that I, I've been through before and uh, this is no different than any of those moments. And, you know, I tell the guys I only kind of know one way to do it and, and just roll up your sleeves and keep going. I don't know what your other option is. So uh, it's been, uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I guess disappointing because I thought we'd be better and we've lost close games and I've been disappointed in, in – and our record not being better, but, um, uh, you know, I could be here. I told the, guy, the guys in the locker room that my plan is to win on Thursday night and then go into that tournament and win that tournament too. So, um, you know, you're going to – the next two weeks, you're going to see a team like us go to the NCAA tournament. There's no, there is one every year. And a team that comes out of the middle or the lower half of the league, whatever you want to say, and uh, wins the tournament. And, and it can be us. I believe that. So uh, I'm confident. I know we have to fix some things. I know we got to play better. And I also know we can lose to anybody too, Bob, if we don't come prepared and ready to play. So I know I know that's true too. So, uh, But it, it's it's that time of year where we just got to find out what we're made of. And uh, and I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm disappointed that we don't have more wins and we're not in a better place. But it is what it is. And, and uh, that's not going to change. The only thing we can change right now is move forward and try and win some games here down the stretch. We spent a lot of time earlier talking about Chris Mido. We haven't gotten into the specifics of where he is right now health-wise. Is he available, the knee injury, uh, is he available Thursday against Quinnipiac? And how about Atlantic City? How does it look? He will not be available versus Quinnipiac on Thursday night. Um, he's getting an injection today into his knee again. We'll see how that takes. And I think a lot of that's going to just depend on this um, kind of uh, injection that he has 
today. I think this is the second one he's he's had, and and where he is next week, that's where we're at with it. And uh, I really don't have an answer for you if he's going to be available. We're obviously hoping that he is, but I don't know uh, if he is. And then obviously he's just done so little conditioning wise. He can't run on a treadmill. He can't do anything that you just obviously another concern about that is if he can play, what's what kind kind of shape is he in, and is is he ready to play? So. Uh, that's that's a tough one. Okay, I got my last question. You're not going to like this question. You probably can't answer it. But as I prepare for this Quinnipiac game, now granted, they have lost their Notre Dame transfer for the whole year. But in saying that, and I looked at these numbers, your top seven scorers have missed 34 games this year. Their top seven scorers have missed one. Why? <laughs> uh, I had a... I guess they got a better MRI machine than we do. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I can't answer why. Uh, you know, we've we've been snake bitten a little bit in that area, and um, you know, there's a lot of things that go into having a good season. This, I don't want this to sound like an excuse because it certainly isn't. Teams get players get hurt and people get hurt, but uh, we've we've had some injuries here and lost some guys, like you said, that I thought. Uh, well, that's not an excuse. That's yeah. a reason. Yeah. But, you know, people do that and still have, you know. Yeah, but this team you're playing doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've we've just been, you know, obviously, you know, Bryson's injury was a big hit to us and losing Chris down here and sporadically some guys missing games in between. But that is what it is, and we got to move forward and, and try and find a way to win games. As we give you the answer now to that open court challenge, this guy actually got hurt at a bad time for Fairfield. You'll remember this, Joe. Anyway, the question we asked, uh, T.J. Long was stopped in his bid for four consecutive 20-point games at 17 in the uh, game on Friday against Niagara. So we asked, who was the last player to score 20 or more points in four consecutive games for the Stags? This predates uh, – Jay, uh, Joe, you, you might uh, Anything that's to do with scoring, i got to say Tyler Nelson. Uh, that would have been a good guess, uh, but Derek Needham is the answer. Oh, one of my favorites, yeah, yep. A guy who got injured during a uh, tough time for Fairfield, Mac tournament time, and but that's another Your story, record right? would be a little better right now if you had Derek Needham. Do you know that? <laughs> I think so, yeah. That's yeah. usually the way it works, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. That was pretty good. He had a four-game stretch of 20 or more. You didn't uh, let me take a shot at that. I was going <laughs> to say Derek Needham. You, I'm, I, <laughs> you I'm, know, yeah. Because I remember the story that he got hurt. Uh, True, that's right. that's yeah. why I, I was uh, – yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but he was a very good player, yeah. And the thing that blows me away, Joe, is how long ago he did this. 13 years oh, ago wow. was when he had his stretch of uh, four uh, consecutive 20-point uh, games. 13 years ago. Don't blink because the stuff uh, <laughs> Well, I, saw, I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter about the anniversary of the, uh, you know, uh, Olympic uh, – the USI sure. hockey team, yeah, yeah. and uh, I remember where I was when you know, as I think it was forty, yeah, it uh, was, forty years ago, forty two. I was years in ago. Italy. Were you? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. That, that's a time place moment when. Uh, yeah, no Al, question. Al Michaels, not a hockey announcer, has the most famous hockey call of all time. Of course, the Do You Believe in Miracles? Any final words, Joe? No, I'm I'm done. I asked my last question already. Thank you. <laughs> all right, that'll do it for this edition of Open Court with Jay Young. Uh, as you know by now, next up for the Stags, regular season finale, the home finale, as the Stags take on their in-state rival Quinnipiac. 7.30 tip-off on Thursday, uh, March the 2nd at the Mahoney Arena. The women 
uh, play their uh, home finale on Thursday as well. And then it's off to Atlantic City for the MAC tournament. Stags play at either 5 or 7 o'clock on Tuesday night against an opponent to be determined. And then ooh, they hope to be playing well beyond Tuesday. And then our next podcast will be the season finale, which will uh, drop your way sometime in the final week of March as we put a wrap on things for the season. So for Jay Young and for the Fairfield Hall of Famer Joe DeSantis and our great producer Ryan Moynihan, I'm Bob Eastler. Thanks for listening to Open Court. The Open Court Podcast is a presentation of Fairfield University Athletics. For future podcasts, videos, news, stats, and coverage of Fairfield Stags men's basketball, log on to fairfieldstags.com.